Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. Thank you to the music team for leading us, and uh, it's a great joy to be able to open God's Word together with you. We are preaching through 2 Corinthians. Uh, We're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through 2 Corinthians. Uh, If you're visiting, this is what we do. We love to sit under everything that God wants to say to us and not just the bits we like. And uh, and as we've seen, as we've been going through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, um, I won't ask you to put your hand up, but there's been some challenging stuff, right? There's been some stuff that we thought, wow, is this actually in the Bible? And, uh, and, And actually, I don't like it. Had that? Uh, I think we're all experienced that. You know, I, is this really what God says? I'm not sure if I like that. And this is the whole point of us journeying through Scripture together, that we want to hear everything God has to say. We don't want to be those that just pick and choose what we like. And so as we get to chapter 11 today, um, we're gonna, I'm going to help you catch up on your Bible reading because we're going to go through the whole of chapter 11, right? And I actually want to read through it. But here's, here's what I want you to be on the lookout for. Before we actually read through the whole of chapter 11, I want you just to tune your ears for a couple of things because what Paul's going to say today is going to sound strange, right? It's going to sound rather strange because he's going to be boasting about himself, Now, if you know anything about Paul, this is completely out of character. He's always been about boasting in Jesus. But in this chapter, he is going to boast about himself. Now, actually, what he's doing here is a literary device, all right? It's actually a a literary device that is full of sharp wit sarcasm, and irony. So those are the three things I want you to be look out, look out for. I want you to look out for some wittiness. I want you to look out for sarcasm. And I want you to look out for irony. And, and, and it's, it's all over the place. And so you don't need to identify each and every single one. But there'll be a few that will stand out for you. So here we go. Let's, uh, if you have a Bible, you can have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Glasses on. Here we go. Chapter 11, verse 1. He says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. 
as the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Archaea. And why? Because I did not love you? God knows I do. And what am I doing? I will continue to do in order, that, in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say, I say not as to the Lord, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast, for you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear with it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak. Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Artus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Wow, there's a lot to take in. What we've been hearing up till now is Paul defending himself, dealing with his critics. And what we see today is a slight shift. There's no doubt he changes his tact. He changes his strategy. He moves from being on the defensive to now going on the offensive. 
He's actually putting his foot forward, and he's actually going to use their strategy, the strategy of the false brothers, the strategy of the false apostles. He's going to use their foolish strategy. He, he, he thinks it's laughable, but how about let's just go with it for a bit? Because if they've listened to, to them, maybe they will now listen to him. And you can see in this passage, he's, he's uncomfortable with this strategy. He's wrestling himself with the strategy. The strategy is to talk about yourself. The strategy is to boast in your efforts, to boast in your accomplishments. And Paul is uneasy. He's uneasy about it. Look at verse 1. He says, I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me. Now, the only reason this can be justified, that, that Paul would boast in himself and boast in his works, is because it's for their good. He sees that there could be some leverage from this, that, that maybe he could jolt them from their slumber, that maybe he could awaken them to the foolishness of following these so-called super apostles. And so he's doing it for their sake. It's almost like he's saying, listen, since you Corinthians think I'm a fool anyway, there's nothing much more I, to, I can lose. So let's just go with the fools. Listen to what uh, Tasker says, a commentator. He says this. He says, Paul is very conscious that it is no business of an apostle or indeed of any Christian to praise himself. Such self-commendation is only justified in the present instance because of his affection for his converts is so great that he will go to almost any length to prevent them from becoming deceived by these unscrupulous men and to keep them loyal to Christ. And so what Paul has in mind here is disloyalty, that, that, that they're abandoning the gospel and the importance of loyalty, that they should remain loyal. Now, up to this point, Paul has been fairly generous with these so-called super apostles or these false apostles. And what I mean by generous is he's, he's called them arrogant, he's called them superficial, he's called them self-centered, but he hasn't yet said that they're not actually Christians. I mean, that's quite a big accusation to say that they're not Christians until now. Here in chapter 11, he has almost reached the tipping point. And he now exposes these false apostles as not only deceitful, but as demonic. Did you pick that up? Look at verse 13 and 15. He says it clearly. He says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So they're not apostles of Christ. They're under disguise. And then he says, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Listen to this. So it is no surprise if his servants, whose servants? Satan's servants. It's no surprise if Satan's servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Now, what's helpful here is that this statement actually makes more sense of his tone and his strategy. Because here's the, here's the deal. He's not taking on the super apostles because they're trying to undermine his influence. It's not like Paul's got a big ego and these guys are now bruising his ego. That's not the reason he's taking them on. He makes it absolutely clear here. They are preaching another gospel. 
This is why he's so passionate about it. It's not about a bruised ego. It's about an injustice to Christ. They're preaching another Jesus. And so for Paul, the stakes are much higher than merely one man's position in the community or, or someone approving of his position. No, no, eternal destinies are at stake. Which is why he says this in verse 2. He says, I feel a divine jealousy for you. He has a godlike jealousy for this church. And his jealousy is not a self-centered jealousy. It is a divinely inspired jealousy. It is that he feels the weightiness of what happens if they follow these super apostles, if they run after a different gospel. Look at what he says. I feel a divine jealousy for you, for I betrothed you to one husband. Who's this husband? Here he says it, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. So we see Paul is compelled by the very jealousy of God. He feels the weightiness of this matter. And, and, and he feels it in such a way that God would be expressing it. And the issue is, I betrothed you to one husband. Obviously, this is marriage language. And so what Paul is saying here is that Corinthians, listen up, Corinthians. You are like an engaged woman who now has her eyes on another man. And for Paul, this is serious. It would be very sad of an engaged woman to have eyes for another man. And Paul says these false apostles had come in after Paul, were criticizing Paul's ministry, but not just that, they were teaching another Jesus. A Jesus that, that wasn't the same, Paul that, uh, same Jesus that Paul preached. Look what he says in verse 3. He says, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This is the burden of the Apostle Paul. And he's prepared to put everything on the line. He's prepared to be a fool for Christ for this one end. And so what I want us to look at, the, the three main things that I think Paul wants us to see here, and they all have to do with loyalty. There are three aspects of loyalty in the life of a Christian that are non-negotiable. The first one is this, loyalty to Jesus Christ. Loyalty to Jesus Christ. Verse 4, he says, for if someone comes, let's just pause there. If anyone comes, if the president comes, if Bill Gates comes, Elon Musk, your hero, I don't know who your hero is, but whoever comes, if anyone he says, if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, then the one, Paul says, we proclaim. What does he mean by we? The apostles of Christ. The, the apostles, the, the, true, the original apostles, the apostles who saw Jesus, the apostles who, who witnessed the resurrected Christ, they were the only apostles. If anyone else, if a, an apostle, a priest, a pastor, a prophet, Whoever else comes and preaches another Jesus, 
He goes on, he says, or if you receive a different spirit, because this is the result, if you follow another Jesus, you don't have the Holy Spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted. He just layers these three terms. They're almost synonymous. Another Jesus will lead you to another spirit, probably not the Holy Spirit, and it will result, end up with another gospel, another message altogether. The question is, is there another Jesus? Well, in in some countries, there's many people called Jesus. Many people throughout history have claimed to be Jesus. Many people have had a a strange messianic self-complex and have started movements saying that they're the Messiah. And so in some ways, we could say, yes, there are many who are who go by the name Jesus or who, who claim to be Jesus or, or have a following like Jesus. But here's what's clear. How do we know if we've got the real Jesus? This is the issue, right? How do we know? And Paul makes it abundantly clear here. He says, there is no other Jesus that should be followed other than the one we proclaimed, Paul says. So Paul is clear and he's specific. He is speaking about the one and only Jesus that the apostles of Christ preached about. And so if we're going to follow the real Jesus, if we're going to be loyal to the one and only Messiah, the, the true Jesus, then where do we find him? Because you can't go to Jerusalem, he's not there. You can't go to Singapore. He's not there. He's not in Kenya and Madagascar. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. So where do we find this Jesus? We go to the apostles' teachings. The only apostles' teachings. Paul's teachings. James's teachings. Peter's teachings. Barnabas's teachings. We go to the we go to the New Testament. We go to the Old Testament, and there in the testament. We see the testimony of the true, the one and only Jesus. It is in the Gospels and it is in the Bible, the Scriptures, the 66 books, no other books. 39 Old Testament books, the 27 New Testament books, no other books do we find the real Jesus. That is where we encounter Jesus, not on a mountain, not in your own heart. In the Gospels, in the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God and gave us the Spirit to witness that that's where we find Jesus. There is no other Lord and no other Savior other than the Lord Jesus Christ as proclaimed in the Bible. Now, here's the problem. The problem was that these super apostles probably weren't talking about a completely different Jesus because that would be obvious to spot, right? The problem is it was a modified version, a modified version, which is what our culture likes to do too. We like to make modified versions of Jesus. Some people like legalistic Jesus, you know Larry the legalist? 
Larry the legalist loves to preach a legalistic Jesus because Larry himself is a legalist and he wants everyone else to be legalists. Or you might have Elizabeth the liberal. Elizabeth the liberal likes liberal Jesus. Not the Jesus of Scripture. No, Jesus of Scripture was a little bit too tight, you know, a little bit too clear, a little bit too restrictive. And so Libby likes liberal Jesus. Or we could get Peter the political party, and Peter wants a political Jesus. He wants to start a fight, and he's going to use Jesus to leverage the fight. We could go on. We could talk about prosperity Jesus. We could talk about hippie Jesus. Everyone wants to edit Jesus, but there is only one who's worthy, one who blows our minds, one who is supreme, one who is sovereign, one who is a genuine savior, and that is the Jesus of Scripture, the one the apostles proclaimed. And Paul says, we made it plain, we made it clear. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one we proclaimed, he is savior, he is sovereign, he is sufficient. When it comes to Jesus, church, hear me. When it comes to Christ, we are not editors. We are messengers. We are not editing his life, even if they confront us, even if the teachings and the ways of Jesus challenge us. And I don't like what I feel, or I don't like how I feel when I read this. No, no, we don't edit his life. We receive the apostolic witness. We receive how Jesus is portrayed to us. And here's why I love this quote from John Flavel. He says this, Jesus Christ is the very essence of all delights and pleasures, the very soul and substance of them, as all the rivers are gathered into the ocean, which is the meeting place of all the waters of the world. So Christ is that ocean in which all true delights and pleasures meet. The true Jesus is a fountain of, of refreshing life, even if it cuts, even if what he says hurts, it actually heals. He is the meeting place of all pleasures and delights. That's the first point, loyalty to Jesus Christ. Secondly, loyalty to the body of Christ. Look again at verse two. He says, I feel a divine jealousy for you, See, Paul's not only consumed with Christ, yes, that's true, but he's also consumed with the church. He says, for I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. There's no doubt in this chapter, Paul is going to great lengths. He's even acting out of character for the sake of the church. Paul has a loyalty to the body of Christ that is second to none. He's concerned for the purity of the church. Why? Because this is the bride of Christ. This is marriage language here. I betrothed you to one husband. Paul sees himself as the one who introduced this couple. Corinthians, meet Jesus. Paul sees himself as the one who walked them down the aisle to be married to Jesus. Paul is laying down his life for the church 
as Christ laid down his life for his church. Now let's just pause for a minute. Let's just consider what a change this is. From the Paul who persecuted the church, remember? This is the same Paul. Remember Acts chapter 9, have a look at this quickly. It says, after persecuting the church, Jesus appeared to him. And in Acts 9 verse 4, it says, and falling to the ground, this is Paul, he gets knocked to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, this is his name prior to changing it to Paul, why are you persecuting me? So this is Jesus confronting Paul. And he said, who are you, Lord? And then Jesus replies, he says, and he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, do you see the connection? Who was Paul persecuting? In Paul's mind, he was persecuting the church. But according to Jesus, he's persecuting Christ. You see, in the, in the mind of God, there is no separation between Christ and the body of Christ. If you persecute the body of Christ, you're persecuting Christ. If you think you can live your Christian life without the body of Christ, you will end up living without Christ. Loyalty to Jesus, the head of the church, also means loyalty to the body of Christ. Notice I say the body of Christ, not covenant grace. We're just one part of the body. Yes, we want loyalty to, to this church. We'd love that from you, but th that's not the point here. The point is the church of Jesus Christ. So what comes through here is radical commitment, radical change. Not only does Paul love this church, but he treats it with, with such respect. Look at verse 7. He says, or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? Two things I want you to notice. Whose gospel is it? God's gospel. And secondly, he does it free of charge. This would have been unthinkable for the super apostles. The super apostles would have been, I need you to hear my gospel. Come, in, oh, come over here. Let me tell you about this little secret truth I have. I'll even write a little book called The Secret. That's a little dig. <laughs> but they're going to charge you for it. There's going to be a service fee. But not so for Paul. Why? Because he's not in it for the money. He doesn't want to be a burden to the church. Paul has integrity because he has a love and a loyalty for the church. Thirdly and lastly, loyalty to the work of Christ. Paul does a lengthy explanation, doesn't he, for his, what we call CV, his credentials, Let's just have a quick look at some of them. From verse 23, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman, he says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near to death. Verse 26, in danger from rivers, robbers, my own people, Gentiles, in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things... Goodness, I would have checked out by now. The daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. What Paul's doing here is he's, he's saying, okay, you want to you compare who, who the true apostles are and who the false apostles are? Let, let's list the credentials. 
And notice he doesn't pull out his CV and go, well, here's my Hebrew passport. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to elevate his ethnicity. Nor does he pull out his degree from the College of King David. Does he? No, no. What he does is he talks about his sufferings. Why? Because no false apostle is going to suffer for Christ. And the reason he suffers is not because he's a madman, although he says, I'm acting like a madman. He's not suffering because he's a meanie. No, no, he's suffering because he's a follower of the real Jesus. And Jesus said, my servants will not be above the master. Let's be clear on this, church. You are not going to be persecuted because you believe in Jesus. Just think this through. If you believe in Jesus, you're not going to immediately attract persecution. You will get persecuted when you talk about Jesus, the real Jesus. Then you're going to get persecuted. See, Paul wasn't just a believer in the real Jesus. Paul was a proclaimer of Jesus, the truth of Jesus. Paul preached and taught the real Jesus. He taught the Jesus of Scripture. And when you declare, when you stand your ground lovingly, with kindness, with generous hearts, with compassion, let's not forget that, but when you stand on the truth of Jesus, you will be persecuted. I want to close with this. Verse 30 to 33, the very end. He says, If I must boast... I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. And then he says this. That's almost like the end. It's almost like the benediction, the end. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, and you think he's done. the, The argument is signed and sealed, finished. And then something else comes to mind. It's like he was a little forgetful of this moment, But we know that's not true because it's inspired. And so the Holy Spirit brings us to his mind. In verse 32, he then says, Oh, let's not forget, at Damascus, by the way, the governor under King Artus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. What's he talking about? He's talking about the time when he got converted that we read earlier, when he was knocked off his horse and Jesus confronted him and said, Why are you persecuting me? What happened after that? Well, after that, he goes on to preach and teach Jesus. And he gets into trouble. And then they want to kill him. But look what he says. He says, in order to seize me, but he he escapes. How? Verse 33. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. And I'm thinking, why, Paul, are you including this little bit here? Well, my unsanctified reasoning is he's a basket case. he's a madman or let's let's read the account quickly all right and then we're almost there acts 9 22 so we're going back to acts 9 it says but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ He's not preaching another Jesus. He's preaching the true Jesus. And then when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. 
But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering, lowering him in a basket. Listen, he really was a basket case. I stand by what I say. <laughs> it shattered every last bit of pride he had left because he came into the city of Damascus with a letter from the officials to go and arrest Christians. He came in as a hunter and he leaves being hunted. But, and here's another cheesy, cheesy joke, and then I'm done. He has all his eggs <laughs> in one basket. What do we mean by that? I'm being serious. He does. There is no other Jesus. His whole life is in that basket. His whole, everything he is, he rests upon this Jesus. The loyalty, the trust. He's not trusting in his own heart. He's not trusting in another vision or another prophet. No, no. All his eggs are in this basket. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And my challenge to us today is where does your loyalties lie? And what does your loyalty look like? What does your loyalty to Jesus look like? Would an outsider see it? Do your neighbors know? Do your friends know? Do, 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 do people around you know that you are loyal to the Jesus of Scripture. That's challenging. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you for the wonderful insights, the learnings, the challenges. And Lord, we are challenged to make much of Jesus. We're not here to edit him. We're not here to modify him. We're here to worship him. There is one gospel, one Holy Spirit, one God and Father of all, one Savior. Jesus, you are sufficient. And we want to put all our trust in you. Metaphorically, we are putting all our eggs in this one basket the basket of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, we want to make much of you. We want to talk about you. We want to worship you. We want to live for you. We don't want to be closet Christians. And we know it's going to attract persecution to preach the true Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture. It's not going to be popular but we know that we're in your hands and you will take care of us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so we rest in that love today. We thank you for the Apostle Paul. We thank you for his faithful ministry. And we pray that we too would be faithful. We pray that we too would be bold proclaimers we pray that we too would love the church. We pray, Lord, that you'd give us a passion for Christ and the body of Christ and the work of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.